that Christians are a part of it, all these kind of things. Here's some statements that they say. I don't diet. I live by blank. It's a lifestyle. Just think, you are literally one decision away from changing your life. She's unstoppable. Her day started with blank. Whose name? Whose name is being edified by investing in these things? Is there a figurehead that we look at and see and say, I want to be like that person? What kingdom are we after? The temporal? How my body will look? How my kids will look? What my 401k will look like? To what purpose? That God's name will be great? Or that my name will be great? I think there's more magic and magicians around than we realize in our culture. Hear me. There's nothing wrong with good health. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with wanting our kids' success. But those kingdoms will falter. And the incantations that you have with those things, they don't work all the time. And when they go wrong, where do you go? Where does that philosophy lead? Promoting ourselves will lead to disappointment. The apostles and Philip, they're promoting someone. They're promoting Christ. One that suffered for us. That died for us. That lived perfectly. That defeated sins. Philip's message, the apostles' message, it's not spells. It's something that actually happened. Christ came in the flesh. He lived a perfect life that the apostles and Philip witnessed and saw. And he conquered death and rose from the dead. As the message moves from Jerusalem, there's a question that has to be asked. Is, is this still legitimate? As it starts spreading to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, is the message still on point? Is a person like Simon, is he the real deal? And that's what we see needs to be looked at and defended as we go through the rest of the passage. Let's look together, shall we? Starting in verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and therefore of this wicked, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Well, the news has gotten out about what's happened in um, Samaria, and the apostles um, hear about this, and they get together and say, let's find out what's going on. They send Peter and John to the apostles to go and find out. Uh, this should not be lost on us that John goes to find out what's going on in Samaria. We might remember earlier when he was in Samaria with Jesus. John said to Jesus, Jesus, bring fire from heaven down upon the Samaritans to wipe out this town. <laughs> now we have John going back to Samaria and seeing the gospel go forward among these people. Amazing. Amazing the change that has happened and amazing how God has worked in the apostles' lives. So we see that the Holy Spirit, that they come and they lay hands on people, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And that should raise some questions upon us. The Holy Spirit is a marker of conversion, a marker of someone becoming in union with Christ. Why did the Holy Spirit not come at their baptism? should be a question that we might raise when we look at a passage like this. And I'm going to give a couple answers to that. Number one is this. The apostles have been given the responsibility by Jesus to bring the gospel to Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Philip is not one of the apostles, again, but he was sent um, out there because of the dispersion that was happening, and he spreads the gospel the, gospel, the, the apostles are kind of the endorsers of the movement going throughout to these places. We'll see as it goes to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth, the apostles are also the endorsers of that movement out to the ends of the earth. And we see here they come on the scene of what's happening in Samaria. So that's one reason we see that it does not come until they come on the scene. The second is some principles that we can all see that are helpful in understanding baptism. We see later in Acts 10 that regeneration, the Holy Spirit coming on someone, happens before baptism in Acts 10. A little bit later in Acts 9, we see that regeneration, the Holy Spirit comes at baptism. And then we see here in this case that the Holy Spirit comes after baptism. 
We'll also see some other things, that there are cases where that there's a laying of and on of hands and the Spirit comes. But there are other places in Acts where there's not the laying of and hands and the Spirit comes. We see other places in the book of Acts when the Spirit comes, tongues comes. But we see in other places in Acts that when the Spirit of God comes, tongues do not come, like in this instance. These are good principles us to see through an Acts. There's not simply, simply some magic formula for the regeneration of the Spirit. It is a work of God to his elected people that comes in the ordinary ways of repentance and faith and baptism. But it is not so closely tied to baptism that baptism and regeneration are not so tightly connected that you cannot have one without the other. Okay? Does that make sense? Now listen, baptism doesn't mean that baptism is not important. We've seen over-importance in church history, and we've seen under-importance in church history. In some instances, in some traditions, we see that if you are not baptized, and in baptism, there is salvation. And in other instances, we see that baptism is just some symbol that we're supposed to do. I don't you see either extremes there. I see a both and. Baptism is a sign and seal. Yes, baptism does not save, but what it represents does. The washing away of our sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There you go. I gave you a little theological exorcist on baptism in about a minute and a half. How'd I do, David? It was okay. David gave me an okay grade. He's the head of candidates and credentials and ordination for our denomination. So, I mean, I ask him sometimes to make sure I'm really right on track. So, But helpful. If you have questions about that, let me know. Acts is going to talk about a lot of this stuff. And we're going to be talking about this stuff as we go through it um, together. But here is the shocking part of this passage. Getting back to the main idea. Simon believed, as it said earlier. Simon was baptized. But at the same time, Simon was not a part of the gospel. He was not regenerated. He was not a Christian. This should shock us. He was given the outward sign, he was part of the group, but he was not right before God. See, Simon continues to see the gospel like his magic ministry. The problem was he saw it as a commodity that could be bought. Seeing, oh, look at these neat things that Peter and John can do. They are getting attention by the Spirit coming upon these people. I want in on this. What do I have to do to get it? He fails to see that the Spirit is a free gift. Should make sense to us, right? This is how relationships work. It would be reprehensible to us. It would be re hopefully reprehensible. If I said to Aaron, will you love me if I pay you? That would be a problem. Maybe she would want money. I don't know. I don't know. But, but that's not how relationships work. Right? You, you can't love someone just because of money. 
You can't buy someone's love. It's this interaction back and forth, right? It's freely given. It just it doesn't go one way. It's actually sacrificing for each other, mutually caring for each other. This is a great lesson about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's actually referred to as he here in this passage. This is relationship. See, Simon wants God, the Holy Spirit, on his terms. You see, that's not how it works to be a Christian. His heart is not right with God. He actually has to give his life in relationship to the Lord. This passage is a great warning to us in the church. You can believe. You can be baptized. But you might not be in a relationship with God. See, some can think the church is a great place to build a social network. A great place to make me look moral in the culture. A place where I can seem esteemed or continue my idea of being a good person. People can use the church to promote themselves. Just yesterday... I was at Presbytery with other pastors, and one pastor and I were talking, and he was talking about his father. And his father hasn't been to church in years, and he was having a conversation with his dad. And he said, Dad, why aren't you at church? And his dad said to him, well, you know, I just want to go to church because I just want a place where I can start managing people. I want a position in a church where I can manage some people. And we were laughing about this. I was laughing because how did you tell your dad this was not a good opinion, right? And so he was saying, he was, he was saying, yeah, it was kind of a double face palm kind of reaction to my dad's statement. And, I, and he, he was saying, Dad, that's not the way it works. Church is a place where you give your life to Christ. Sure, they want to be able to use your gifts and things like that, but it is of service. Not about yourself. You know, the church is such a place where we can be so deceptive. Where we can easily rationalize our sin. Or easily rationalize um, our non-relationship from God. It's a place where we think, oh, look, I'm all good. I'm around people here, right? While the idol of control or self-promotion can still reign in our hearts. And we're not surrendering ourselves to God. Peter says to Simon, you're in the bonds of iniquity. You are enslaved. Pray that God would release you from this that it would be possible to be released from this see that is the opposite of the gospel it's a place where you can be free where you can be accepted 
where you can be loved. That you don't have to worry about the envy of being in a certain position. That you're not seeing, oh, I want to be in this place. I want to get this kind of acclamation. I want to be around these people. No, the gospel says you are accepted by Christ and loved and you can be free from self-promotion. I, I, I'm, I'm saying this because like, I see how I can fall into the same trap. Like, I just, my mind is blown how he could see Peter and John, people that have suffered that have done some wrong things themselves, that you will see as we go through acts, um, go through persecution and trials, imprisonments, and death, how he could see those people, and what he sees is that they're popular. And he does not see the sacrifice and the persecution and the suffering they face. It's easy how we can be blind and that in the church. Oh, I want to be an elder. Oh, I'd love to be a pastor. Now, I'm not saying woe is me of what we go through, but sometimes I want you to go, it is not what you think it is. But we can easily get caught in that. If only it could be in this position. If I'm going to be in this place. The gospel lets us be content where God has us. We're not gunning for things. We're not self-promoting. Where you can be free. You can stop angling. Stop trying to get ahead. Stop trying to exaggerate who you are. So that you can feel like you're more esteemed. For some of us, we feel like we're in bondage. We've been given a hard hand in life. And we're envious about where other people are. We're bitter. And we try everything to seek ways to be known. The gospel says you can rest from this. Don't use it for your personal advancement. Instead, the gospel can be used for your healing to find out who you really are. I wish the last words of Simon were better. But realize that what he says, he still doesn't get it. And I think these words are here to make us wonder where we are. What does he say? Oh, pray for me. <laughs> you pray for me. That what? None of these bad things will happen to me. He just doesn't get it. Instead of him doing business with God. Instead of him repenting, instead of him actually talking with God and the Holy Spirit, instead, he casts it on someone else to do the work. And rather seeing an ability for him to be free in the positives that come from the gospel, instead, he just wants to be free from the punishment that Peter says that might come on him.
rather than a restored relationship with the creator, he continues to be a self-promoter. What does this message do to us? Does it find you out? Does it make you say, Pastor, put in a good word for me, for the Lord. I hope these ways of destruction don't come upon me. Or does it cause you to actually do some examination of how you talk to others? Your contentment of where you are in life. Desire of wanting to post things that you look popular or better than you are. Rather than finding freedom in Christ. Christ. 